0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, why don't you take it and let's turn to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible, and really probably even if you do, inside your celebration folder is this message notes. It's got all the passages that we'll look at and some fill-in-the-blanks for you later on. Some white space if um, you want to write something else down. So pull that out as well. Well, today we're going to conclude a series... That uh, we did here at the end of uh, 2010 and now carrying over to this first weekend of 2011 on why. Why did Jesus come? And we saw first that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead defanged the enemy. And we now live in victory and freedom over sin because Jesus came. Aren't you glad? Then we saw not only that, but he came to glorify God. That by doing the hard thing, by being obedient all the way to the cross, God got the glory. And in the same way, when we do the hard thing, when we're obedient to God, our Father, he gets the glory. Christmas Eve, we saw that Jesus came... To take away sin. That like the scapegoat in the Old Testament, all of our sin were laid on, was laid on him. And he carried them away. Last weekend, Pastor Claude also showed us that Jesus came to do the Father's will. His will was that of redeeming us. That Jesus was the bread of heaven who satisfies the hunger of our soul. And then finally, this weekend, we want to look at this last one, that Jesus also came to seek and to save the lost. If you have Luke chapter 19 there in front of you, verse 10, that's our key verse. It says this, For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus had a mission statement. And it was this, to seek out and to save spiritually lost people. That's what Jesus was all about. And it's what we need to be about as well. So as I was kind of thinking, well, how do we unpack this? How do we understand this? I thought, well, I guess it kind of starts with just, first of all, having to understand what we mean by lost. And what does it mean to be lost? If Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, what's it it mean to be lost? And so I kind of thought of it this way. If you've ever been in your car and you've gotten lost, that ever happened to anybody? Happens to me all the time. I'm the last person in America without a GPS. You're in your car, you get lost. Well, what's that mean? It means this. It means you aren't where you want to be and you have no idea how to get there, right? you got two problems, don't you? You aren't where you want to be, and you have no idea how to get there. Well, Jesus is saying that that is the condition of most people. They're lost. They aren't where they want to be, and they don't have any idea how to get there. Well, where is it we want to be? Where is it we're meant to be? Well, let's look at some other words of Jesus or some other teachings about Jesus, John Chapter one, verse four, talking about Jesus, it says in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, that that's where we're meant to be. We're we're meant to be at the place of life. John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus put it this way. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And then he adds this phrase and have it to the full. You see, we are meant for more than another day, another dollar. We're meant for more than that. We're meant for more than just paying the mortgage and the electric bill. We're meant to have a full, meaningful life. Jesus puts it this way in another passage, John chapter 4, verse 14, from the message, a paraphrase, it puts it this way. Jesus says this, Anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst, not ever. The water that I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. We were met for abundance. Abundance. For fulfillment, for purpose, for joy, for endless life gushing from within us. And so think for a minute about the people you know. People that you work with, people that you live near, people that you go to school with, your friends. Think about this. Does that really describe them? Well, Jesus says that's what we're meant for. For abundant, endless, joyous, fulfilling life. And isn't that what we all want? But you see, the problem is we're lost. We aren't where we want to be. And we have no idea how to get there. Well, Jesus says he came to save, to seek out people who were just like that and to save them from their purposeless, unfulfilling existence. Well, Zacchaeus was just such a guy. And so we're going to read his story in Luke chapter 19 in the verses that precede verse 10. Maybe if you... Grew up in church, went to Sunday school. Maybe you've heard about Zacchaeus' story. Maybe you even know a little song that you could sing. But we're not going to do that this morning. But let's look together. Let's unpack Zacchaeus' story in in Luke chapter 19. Follow along with me. Verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. There's our guy. It says he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, in these first few verses, we learn a few things about Zacchaeus. One of the things we learn is that he was a chief tax collector. That meant that he was hated. You know, the... The tax collectors were seen by their fellow Jews as the sellouts. Those are the ones who who basically bargained with Rome to collect the taxes for Rome and get a share for themselves. They were hated. They were despised. He was not only a tax collector, but he was a big hoo-ha tax collector, right? He was a chief tax collector. He wasn't liked. disliked, hated. All the tax collectors were. We also see... That he was wealthy, that he had done quite well at this tax-collecting thing. That the, the thing that he was looking to, to find fulfillment, purpose in life, was money. You know, we all look to things, don't we? Different things, whatever it is. We all look to something to find fulfillment, to find purpose. Well, Zacchaeus had sought to do it through money. He was wealthy. Third thing we see is that he was short, right? He was vertically challenged. And then fourth, we see that there was something about Jesus that intrigued him. That he wanted to know more about Jesus. You know, that's true of a lot of spiritually lost people, isn't it? Maybe they've been turned off by the church. Maybe they wouldn't even describe themselves as religious at all. But there's just something about Jesus that intrigues them. Well, that was Zacchaeus. And so verse 4 says, Jesus was coming through and it says, So he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus climbs a tree in order to get a better look at Jesus. See, this is where the detail of him being short comes into play. See, because the problem wasn't that Zacchaeus was short. It was that he was disliked, that he was hated. See, when you have a parade, what do you do with the short people? They just stand in front, right? It's no big deal. Everybody else just looks over top of them. No problem. But there's no way you're going to let this good-for-nothing tax collector up front. There's No way you're going to make allowances for him. But you see, Zacchaeus was motivated... To push past his limitations. He was resourceful. He was used to doing what it took to get what he wanted on his own. And so he climbs a tree. See, he was wealthy. But his wealth hasn't brought him abundant, endless, joyful, fulfilling life. He's lonely. He's friendless, and he's searching for more. And something tells him that what he's looking for is found in Jesus. So he climbs a tree. Verse 5 says that when Jesus reached the spot, that he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once. And he welcomed him gladly. Jesus stops and he specifically seeks out Zacchaeus. He knows his name. And Jesus extends himself to him. I mean, Jesus is the initiator here. Don't miss that. That's so important. Because, you see, it's not enough to just sit in our churches and wait for people to come to us. Jesus initiates. Jesus starts the process with him. And you know, I think that's where it is that most of us who name the name of Christ drop the ball, truthfully. Because you see, what we do is we're waiting for non Christians to initiate the process with us. But that's not what Jesus does, He's the one who initiates the process with this spiritually lost person. He is the initiator. Now, let me show you something from another place. Keep something here in Luke 19, because we're coming back. But look over just a few chapters to Luke chapter 5, because I think Jesus here gives us a really great picture, a great example of what it means, this, this aspect of initiating the process with spiritually lost people. Jesus does it here, too, with another guy. In Luke chapter 5, I think it's just a fascinating thing that he does. It says this, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus is teaching, and a crowd starts to gather. They, more and more people come, and they kind of gather around him, more and more of them. And it says, he saw, verse 2, at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Out of the corner of his eyes, he sees a couple boats over there with some fishermen who really weren't paying any attention. They were just doing their own thing. They were just washing their nets. And verse 3 says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, to Peter. Peter's not a Christian at this point. In fact, he's not interested. He's not paying any attention. He gets into Simon's boat And he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he, Jesus, sat down and he taught the people from there. You see what's going on here? Jesus is teaching. And he sees that Peter isn't listening. And so what Jesus does is he gets in his boat. Isn't that interesting? See... You work with all sorts of people. You go to school with all sorts of people. You live near, next to, all sorts of people who are spiritually lost. And they aren't paying any attention to Jesus. And what you're doing, what I tend to do, is we're waiting for them to initiate the process with us. But what we've got to do is we've got to figure out how to get into their boat. See, how to get them to start paying attention to us. You've got to be the one, I've got to be the one to initiate the contact. We've got to be the one to initiate the relationship. That's exactly what Jesus did here with Peter. And it's exactly what he does with Zacchaeus. Back in Luke chapter 19. Okay, flip back, Luke 19. And don't miss here, I think this is important too. When Jesus stops there underneath the tree, don't miss this. He knows Zacchaeus' name. Did you catch that? I think that's important because, you know, for a lot of us, that's where it needs to just start. We need to learn the names of the people who live around us. You know, we need to stop referring to that guy at work as the short guy who always wears the blue blazer. You know? Oh, what's his face? See, we've got to learn their name. Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. And Jesus, here's what he does. He gets into Zacchaeus's boat by inviting himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Now, maybe you might want to try that with your neighbors. <laughs> hey, I'm coming over for pizza tonight. Did I mention that earlier? <laughs> maybe that might not be your best strategy, but the point is you need to be the one to get into their boats, to figure out how to initiate the contact with them. I remember coming home from church one Sunday and I was um, there was a neighbor I'd been trying to build a relationship with, a non-Christian guy. And and I noticed him out back raking his leaves. And I thought to myself, I don't want to rake leaves. I'm tired. I want to watch football. But the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, he's out raking leaves. And I remember pulling on my sweats and going over for a little bit and raking leaves with him. I have another neighbor that lives across the street from us now. And I've been trying to build a relationship with him, non-Christian guy. And, uh, you know, I don't think they smoke in the house. And so he'll be out in his driveway smoking. And that's a clue to me. Hey, he's out there smoking. It's a great chance to go over, to walk across the street because he's going to be there for a few minutes out in his driveway. It's a great situation to initiate contact with him, to build the relationship with him. I remember back when Janet was a stay-at-home mom. There was a neighbor that uh, she noticed who had a little girl about the size or about the age of Joanna when she was a little girl, and, and she would walk her daughter in a stroller. And Janet said, hey, here's my chance. I'm going to go out and meet her. And then I'm going to start walking with her and pushing Joanna in a stroller too to establish that relationship, to initiate that contact. See, I, again, I don't do it right all the time. I do it wrong most of the time. But the point is, we've got to be the ones to initiate the contact. That's, that's exactly what, Jesus, you know, we've got to be the ones to start the relationship, to invite them over to watch the game, to come to dinner at our house, whatever it is. We've got to be the ones to initiate the contact. That's exactly what Jesus does here with Zacchaeus. Well, verse 7, it says, All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, Zacchaeus was a known pagan. He wasn't a religious guy. Everybody knew it. And everybody talked despairingly about Jesus for doing that. I have a good friend, Neil Cole, who one of the things that he says that I just love, he says this regularly. He says, people who are like Jesus smell like smoke. Here's what he means by that. Neil is a uh, a church planner in California, and uh, Neil has won a lot of people to Christ just by hanging out in coffee houses and Here's what he realized early in the process in California they couldn't smoke inside even earlier than here in ohio and and what he realized is hanging out in the coffee houses that all the non Christians weren't inside the coffee house they were out front smoking and even though neil didn 't smoke, he realized that if he was going to develop relationships with these Spiritually lost people, he needed to be out front hanging around with them so that he would smell like smoke. See, the issue isn't smelling like smoke, it's getting into their boat. It's getting into their world. It's making connection. It's you being the one to initiate. Listen, if we're going to reach spiritually lost people, we have got to get out of our comfort zone and into theirs. Well, that was really good. You should write that down. If I had a pen, I'd write it down myself. Oh, it's right here in my notes. I don't have to. No, isn't that true? We've got to get out of our comfort zone and into theirs. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes out of his way to get into Zacchaeus' world. And something exciting happens. Look, verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up. This is after they're back at his house. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. See, Zacchaeus comes to salvation in Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And so Jesus concludes in verse 10, the verse we started with, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, that's what Jesus was all about. And if we're going to be like Jesus, it's what we need to be about as well. So, turn your notes over if you want, a couple things. What's this got to do with us? 2011, what's this got to do with us? I think a couple of quick points. Here's the first. Is that spiritually lost people matter to Jesus. And they ought to matter to us. They ought to matter to us. I mean, listen to me. Forget about witnessing. Forget about any of that part. It just starts with caring. With being burdened. About it. That people all around you and me. Are going to spend an eternity. In hell. I mean does that reality grip you. On a regular basis. I mean does it bother you. To know that that's true. About that guy whose locker is next to you. At school. Or that woman who. Whose desk butts up against yours at work. That's true about her. That's true about that couple that lives next door to you. Or, or about that friend of yours. Or about that person on the treadmill next to you. At the Y. Does that, does that, does that, does that enter into our thinking? You see, it it starts with first just caring that remembering the reality of what's at stake for spiritually lost people. They matter to Jesus. They need to matter to us. And then secondly, here's the second thing, is that we have got to initiate the process with spiritually lost people. We have got ...to get into their boats. We have got to be the ones... ...who are stepping out of our comfort zones... ...and into theirs. I mean, for us over the years... ...it's mostly been neighbors. And for the longest time it was... ...it was the parents of kids our kids played sports with. Our kids are both in college now... ...so we don't get that opportunity that way. But, you know, for the longest time for me the the parents of kids my kids played sports with were just people who drove those other kids there, you know? Till it, it hit me one day that, you know, a lot of these people don't know Jesus. In fact, most of them don't. In fact, most of them don't want to know Jesus, don't care to know Jesus. I need to care about that. I need to learn their names. I need to step out of my comfort zone and try to, build a relationship with them and try to establish contact with them and just kind of work at that. That's what it means. That we're the ones who initiates that aspect, that we learn their names, that we initiate, that we look for our neighbors to be out in their yards. I mean, in this era, it's just so easy to just live in isolation, isn't it? You drive home from work, your garage door goes up, you drive in, you Drive store goes down. It, it's just we have to. We have to be the ones to look for the opportunities to get into their world, to step out of our comfort zones, and into theirs. That as a small group, you know, I'm still convinced that small groups are the best evangelism vehicle there is. You get a small group who'll get serious about this. That. That you keep a list of people that you're praying for. You're, 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 the goal is not to have 4 million people on a list. The goal is for everybody to have somebody. A neighbor, a coworker, somebody. And, and you, you get serious every week about praying for those people. And you challenge each other. Hey, when's, when's the last time you talked to so-and-so? Well, I've been busy. I have, I, yeah, but man, you need to keep in mind the reality of what's at stake here. You're right, I need to, to, I need to work at that challenge each other and and you you just do stuff together you know as a group you watch football games together maybe there's a football game coming up soon that you could watch together or or you go out to dinner together or you have game nights or you just do stuff together and and you have the mindset that as a group that we're going to invite these people we're praying for and when they come we're all going to work really hard at befriending them. See, long before you get around to to witnessing to people, you you have to kind of move people from being spiritually unopened to just being open. And boy, there's just nothing better at that than a small group who'll get serious about working together to just love people into openness. Because spiritually lost people matter to Jesus. They need to matter to us, and we need to be the ones who initiate the contact with them. Let me close with this. Leonard Sweet, in his introduction to organic church, tells this little story. He says, while walking his parish one day in his clerical garb, a couple of kids called to Pastor Jerry Middleton from across the street. Hey, mister, would you stop being a minister long enough to give us a hand? And so stunned by the words, but braced for the challenge, Jerry crossed the street. And when he arrived at their side, he found that the chain on one of their bikes had broken and needed to be fixed. And so he knelt down right there on the sidewalk and he started to dismantle the bike and remove the chain. the two young brothers couldn't believe that this minister would actually get down to help them. And they were even more surprised that he proved skilled at fixing their problem. And when he had finished repairing the bicycle, they apologized for making him get his hands so filthy with oil and grease. Jerry shrugged it off. No problem, fellas. Want to learn how to get off grime like this? No way, one of them said. You can't get that off here. Well, let me show you. Jerry continued. Once again, he got down on the ground. But this time he gathered up dirt and he washed his hands in some loose soil. And after he scrubbed the dirt into his hands, he turned to one of them and said, Do you know where we can find some water? And the boy said, Hey, we live right around the corner. Come with us. And so the three of them went marching right into the kitchen of their house, much to the surprise of their mother, who was asked to move over as she stood open to mouth at the strange priest her children had brought home to them. The mother asked him to stay for tea, and Jerry confessed that this was one of the strangest pastoral calls that he had ever made. But he also professed to having learned a lot about ministry in a postmodern culture from this one incident. Listen to what he learned. He says, this is a culture that doesn't think the church has anything to offer it, except when we stop doing church the way we've been doing it. Hey, mister, would you stop being a minister long enough to give us a hand? And then he concludes with these couple of sentences. He says, people today aren't coming over to the Christian side of the street. We have to cross over to their side. You see, Jesus came to seek out and to save spiritually lost people. They mattered to him. And he crossed the street of time and eternity in order to initiate contact with them. And he challenges us to do the same thing. Well, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus. We just thank you for coming. To destroy the works of the devil. To take away our sins. To glorify God, to. To do your father's will, and to seek and to save lost people. And my prayer, Jesus, is that that example, that that heartbeat, will just will just get pushed down into our soul, or that the reality that that these people matter to you would just grab hold of us. That they'll matter to us, those people we live next to, or go to school with, or work with, or whatever it is, Lord. That they'll they'll, they'll just get on our hearts. That we'll care about what's at stake for them for all of eternity. And Lord, I, I just pray that you'll give us wisdom about how to get into their boats. And then you'll just give us the courage to do the things that it takes to make that happen. We pray it all in your name and for your glory. Amen.